And we are back here once again with another episode of the Iron Man Podcast, episode 277, with Mr. T. Alex Ratcliffe, right? Uh, Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe. Uh, okay. You can put an E on the end. It's you've got it more accurate than some of the telemarketers do. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say Ratcliffe, but I, I was like, man, is the E silent? Is it not? And for anyone who uh, has been telling me, hey, what if Marvel just so happens to send you a cease and desist letter about using the name Iron Man in your show? I'm like, oh God forbid I just change the name. It's that simple, guys. It, like, if, if that ever did happen, which it literally isn't, I don't know why people would, would even allege that would happen. I go back into the episodes, and then I just change the name, and then I just tell people on Twitter, hey, the show has been renamed to this. That's it. It's not personally, that serious. I, <laughs> personally, I prefer tungsten. It has a much higher melting point, and it's a little bit stronger. There's literally a guy's YouTube channel from, like, another fandom. Is, he literally calls himself the Bat Channel. What actually is... Show's called like Batman cast or something. It's like people, y you guys are out here licking the boots of like mega corporations who like literally couldn't care if you lived or died. Actually, I these wouldn't be the people I will be dying on a hill for, is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll ask Mr. Uh, T. Alex, this is his first time here. Tell the audience something about yourself you would like them to know right out the gate. Uh, well, I'm a I guess I'm a YouTuber who reviews other people's books and talks I guess about you're writing. A YouTuber. <laughs> um, I'm also a writer myself. I okay. I got tired of all the preaching and weirdness going on in stories with people just trying to shoehorn on in all, all their ideology. So I thought, mm -hmm. let's get into this and rediscover the art of storytelling. What makes it entertaining? And what makes it worth you know wasting your entire life on? Mm -hmm. And what? So let's just start from the very beginning. How about your origin stories, like most superheroes and characters have in your realm? How was your life growing up? Uh, well, I grew up in Appalachia, so we are very poor out here. I uh, grew up with a very intimate knowledge of an outhouse, so that was uh, that was fun. <laughs> How um, poor are we talking about here? Um, like one can of food in the refrigerator, or you're living off like a single oh, we, item for like weeks? We never <laughs> starved. There's enough things living in the woods to eat that you're not going to starve around here. <laughs> but oh lord, those poor deers! <laughs> oh um, gosh. But then I uh, I ended up working in factories for a few years, got tired of it, got my engineering degree, mm -hmm. went back to work in the factories, but now I'm on the other side of things, and mm -hmm. that got awful. So now I work armed security, so that's fun. Okay, so you so you're 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 a security guard for the most part. Okay, do you like enjoy your job for the most part? It's actually a lot of fun. I have a lot of time to read the uh, the books that I review on my channel. I have a lot of time to, on your uh, phone, right? Uh, yeah, mostly on my phone. Sometimes I can bring an actual paperback. Okay. So um, how was it like, inter so I, I know security guards. Um, Chaz is on the show. He was a security guard and I have other security guard people that have been in that industry. Do you like and enjoy interacting with people on that level? Because there's a lot of people I imagine you're around consistently, right? Uh, there are quite a few. My, uh, my armed security is a little different than most because I mm -hmm. actually work for a military installation that I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, NDAs. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff I can't say on that. But uh, Dang it. It's like <laughs> top secret intel about books coming out. Uh, you would be really, really disappointed in the top secret intel coming out of some of these army. Is If you've been in the army or if you know somebody who's been in the army, they could probably tell you, yeah, you're not missing anything. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's top secret. Yeah, it's 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 top secret <laughs> dirt pile. Yeah. Uh. 
uh, these deer are growing weird antlers. It's top secret. And it's like, well, they look like they've got lead poisoning, huh? (laughs) But it it pays well. Actually, I, uh, I took a later shift. So I have days. So I would have days free to work on other stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, because being a writer, I'm immensely antisocial. <laughs> yeah, I've always told people this. I don't mind being around people in general. Like if I go to like a supermarket or I go to like outside for a little bit, I don't mind that. I don't mind the little small interactions with people. I just don't like being around people for like long periods of time. I, I feel like it's just, it just always spells out bad news. You know, how like um, you, you've had, probably had like friends in your life where you hung out with each other so much that at a certain point, drama just starts happening. People just start getting mad at each other, you know? So I happen to be that one friend who just seems to be in the group, but the drama happens. I'm not there. And then the drama ends and suddenly everybody is trying to be like, yeah, weren't you there when you saw that? It's like, no, I, <laughs> I don't even take people are screaming at each other and mad at each other. And suddenly everybody I know hates each other. I'm like, what the hell happened with you guys? It's like such and such like puffy Cheetos and (laughs) yeah, like people will have like big arguments with each other. And I'm sitting there going like, I I mostly always throughout my whole life, try to get myself, um, you know, away from certain individuals and like, I'm just saying, I don't like them. It's just more like, I kind of know where this person is headed. So I know it's a, it's a train crash, but I get Mm -hmm. off the train and I watch them crash. That's, that's (laughs) what I, that's what I learned about life. Actually. You don't need (laughs) drama in your life. Now, that being said, in the writing community, as you're probably familiar in the comics community, there is always drama of some kind. I didn't know it was this bad, actually. I <laughs> I, I, I went through my life going like, oh, yeah, a lot of people just like each other. They, they must work together. They must like each other. I, I think the first instance of it was like back in the day. I don't know if, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're a fan of like Power Rangers or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I found out that uh, Austin St. John and Jason David Franklin like each other, I was like, wait a minute. But they acted together. They must like each other. I was like. My mom was like, no, that's not how it works, honey. It's like, what? <laughs> that blew my mind. That actually just, that that was my, my, one of my biggest life lessons ever. Just because you're around someone doesn't mean you like them. It's like, oh my God, wait a minute. So like when, it, when you go through like all these writers, drama and all this like, just not even just like drama when it resolves around just professional writers or best-selling authors or anything like that. Like the indie side of things is, is just so hell. You would think like the underrated guys, the people that aren't known will kind of like band together and be like, Hey, we're trying to get into that space. We're trying to get bigger. We got to be a lot better than that. They always preach about being a lot better than those people, but it's been shown through me through these past couple of years, man. It's just not like that. These people might even be, even be worse. Honestly, in some cases, at least the people from the mainstream will tell you they're, they ain't shit. They'll just straight up say, Hey, I, this is what I believe. I think this and this and this, and you could go like, okay, I, I hate everything you stand for, but at least, you're being honest, and I can always respect that. Some people on, on, on this side aren't uh, pretend not to be like that, and then when you find out, you're like, "This, you're just no better than that person." <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you what I think it is. So you know how in real life at work, or if you're some out with some friends, mm-hmm. you guys know where you can hit each other. You guys know yeah, what each other yeah. are sensitive about. Well, in the writing community, if you put out a book and people don't like it, that's a little piece of your soul. You're putting out the most sensitive thing about yourself to the world and saying, what do you think? And it really can't like getting a negative review can really hurt, especially if you don't have the thick skin for it. And a lot of these guys, you know, they've been up in other situations where they're used to taking hits, but now they're taking something that they're really sensitive on. You know, I mean, we've all, as a guy, we've all got that one spot. We're really sensitive and getting hit. Well, (laughs) yeah, I, I actually, um, people don't know this because people think I'm just only a creator in this before I did this. 
I was just walking around, listening to music, and I really wanted to write a story. And I did write a story. I I, I would say I, I didn't write, write a story on the level that would be like 90 some odd pages. No, I basically just wrote all my story out in one single long form paragraph. Terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible. I did it for like seven installments I did that for. Showed to people, they're like, this is straight trash. They literally just told me it was just straight garbage. <laughs> That, that not not gonna lie, it did a little bit like demoralize me, but I did realize, hey, I need to somewhere in the back of my head, like subconsciously, I took that and I made things better with everything else. And like I mentioned people before on Twitter and people that watch my stuff, I will be getting back into writing late later on this year because I have much more bigger things I need to do first before I can even dedicate time to that. But yeah, learning like how to write properly and even just not just typos, I was typing. I, those stories were so bad. I, I'm I'm gonna keep a lot of the ideas from the story, but mm-hmm. man, just having people say like, "Hey, man, I read this and this is like complete shit." <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we all hit like if you've ever been published anything, you'll meet almost any author who will say the same thing. It's like, yeah, I look back at some of the things I wrote and I, I kind of not really liking it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well you prepare or all the stuff that you do. Your first book will always be your worst book. And I noticed because at some point you have to get out there and just try. You have to launch. Like yeah. almost any <laughs> book you yeah, see on writing, right. that's what you'll see. Yeah, you, you people gotta understand. Even if your first book may or may not be good or average or mid, as the kids say nowadays, you gotta start somewhere. You know mm-hmm. what? What? What I want to do when I put out my first book ever, when I start on it later on this year, if I have enough time to, given all the goals I want to reach, I don't want it to be a bad book though. I want that first one to be. Just basically okay to good across the board, you know? Because I, because for me, I, I, I don't think I could live with my myself knowing if the series became a lot more successful that I put out a bad first book. I would look back on that first book with regrets, you know? I don't want to have those feelings at all. You know, I want to dedicate my time to something that I know I can put out a quality product. But maybe well, I'm yeah, overthinking but- it. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> the, like the first time you play a game like Magic or D&D or just any video game. You play you're Magic? Not Holy do- crap. Oh, I played <laughs> So I haven't played in a while, but I used to be a big Commander geek. I loved Commander. I imagine you don't like what Wizards of the Coast is doing right now with the game. Uh, <laughs> so I got out years and years ago because they were getting real screwy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they, they wouldn't want me working for them. So I don't see why I would want to buy their product. Because mm. they were getting, they, they were, I was in Magic for about 10 to 20 years. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. Now, not not major. I was just playing for the fun of it. You was playing casual with friends, right? Like one of my things was I refused to look up net decks or cards or anything like that unless mm-hmm. it was on Amazon because the moment I knew all the cards and I understood all the strategies, well, the game was over. It was boring then. There's no point in playing anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I, I know for Magic, there's two formats. There's standard and then there's those, you know... Don't, There's a lot, Mag- lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, so like for, with Yu-Gi-Oh, because I, I I put like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon with Yu-Gi-Oh with Konami, they don't really have sanctioned events outside of the main competitive Yu-Gi-Oh everyone plays. But mm-hmm. with Magic, not just you, you could just not just play competitively with the best decks at the time, or even they have, they have like the Pro Tours and stuff. The other format is also, you know, something where players go, I'm not really feeling this right now. I'll just go over to this one r- real quick, you know. And that's something that we've been telling Konami for many years. It's like, hey, there's people that are not interested in competitive Yu-Gi-Oh right now. Why why disrespect these guys and be like, oh, but they don't like our new stuff. They can go fuck themselves. It's like, no, these people still want to spend money. They still want to play the game. These are still players who want to play the game. Why not mm-hmm. just make these other formats sanctioned events that you can 
have people constantly get or constantly be in the game. Then if they want to come back to the main Yu-Gi-Oh that everyone goes to, they're still going to be here. But, you know, these corporations are trash. I, I, I if You you know what I'm going to talk about. Magnet the Gathering, they've been race-swapping a whole bunch of freaking cards, the GR yeah. Tolkien drama they went through. It's it's just so bad. I just... I mean, it's like, the, people the, just want to lose money, man. They just want to lose money. They want to burn to the ground. <laughs> I don't understand it. Magic, like, Wizards understands that there are other mythologies out there. Like, Asia has their whole mythology. Africa has all their mythologies. Europe has all their mythologies. Mm-hmm. You don't have to race swap one group's mythology in order to bring in that uh-huh. group. And, it, and yes, Lord of the Rings was made as a mythology. Everybody knows that now because it's all over freaking Twitter. But Lord, I can't remember it. When I was a kid, uh, you remember the show Gargoyles? Yes. Yeah, maybe. Yes. So you remember when they actually started touching a little bit on African mythology with yeah. the, uh, the jaguars that, and the spiders yeah, and stuff? I remember that. Mm-hmm. that. Those were some of my favorite episodes. They were crazy and wild and something just a little bit mm-hmm. different. Wizards don't want to touch on that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? It's like, you know, we could introduce so many cool new mechanics. That was the whole point of magic. But I don't know. It just disappoints me. Magic. So what was the last year you played casually for Magic? Uh, I sold my last that. You uh, sold so everything. I, I sold everything. I sold my last set of cards. I think back in uh, 2016, 2017. You don't ever to... have like this itch of like, hey, I want to go back and play a little bit, buy some cards. You, uh, you, some... you ever have that itch to go back? Sometimes. So I had a my favorite deck that I built was a mono black creatureless deck. Like I just wanted to build like complete creature hate. So nobody can play creatures. And it gave me the best compliment I've ever gotten that game. And that was people absolutely refusing to play against that deck. <laughs> people, I don't want, if you're going to play that deck, I don't want to play anymore. So it was, uh, but yeah, I sold them all off to pay for a semester of college. Cause the game was getting stupid, but it was also, so a lot like you were talking, there were some of these highly competitive people who are like, Hey, I want to go be casual now. Well, some of these guys were coming into Commander, and none of my decks were over $1,000. Well, now I'm playing against guys who've got decks at like $5,000, $6,000. You know, they got things in there that are completely freaking broken because they've been playing Legacy and dumping all their money into it. So it's no fun playing them because they win every single time because they've got access to cards that are worth more than my car. Lord and well, uh, Professor Dark was in the chat. What's up, man? Uh, have you played Magic the Gathering the Arena, the, the online simulator? No, I use it as an excuse to actually get out and talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. yeah, it's crazy because Yu Gi Oh just got its first official online simulator, I think it was like 2021. So basically, mm-hmm. everyone's been having to use like third party simulators for like basically since the game existed mm-hmm. for the most part it's crazy that I, I look back and i go wait a minute this this game survived without an actual simulator that's ridiculous <laughs> now they did have games it just wasn't yeah. actual simulators yeah and those are the games that they stopped supporting when the con- console that they were attached to basically fell out of favor oh man god dude i i love trading card games i, I really do but there's so much shit that could be way better but the companies are, are just basically so content with it being just the way it is when it, it could be so much better i just don't get it like why isn't there like you know magic the gathering comic books or things like that Think, like magic so, gathering movies based around certain properties that they own i don't know 
there was a long series of novels that they did for, I think, the first 20 years of the game. Mm. And I think I've read about 10 of them. Because every time... Some of so the uh, the Brothers' War is actually really good, and that's uh, that's one of the beginning. I think that's the second book of all of it. So you can look at the Artificer, which explains Phyraxia and how it came to be and how Yogmoth became a god, and then you get into the Brothers' War, and you can buy these books as a complete set, and I really recommend them. Uh, but the Brothers' War is about Urza and his brother Mishra and their fight as they destroy Dominaria, the first world in uh, the uh, Magic: The Gathering set. And it's actually a pretty good story. It's fairly sad. Uh, the problem is, as you go further into the books, they start doing cringe things like making game references, like, oh, well, that's what libraries are for. And, you know, I'll pull something from the graveyard. You know, the, the books would be so much better if they didn't reference the card game, at least in my opinion. But uh, maybe one day since I review books, I'll actually go through and start reviewing some of the magic books that I have. Because you used to get them free if you bought the whole set. Like you used to be able to buy play sets of the whole play, like a play set would come out. You could buy from wizards four of everything. They would just mm. send you four of everything in that set. So I'll ask you a few more things about magic. Then we can go, go, go to the book stuff. So the yep. biggest narrative around card players is like, you know, they're kind of fat and smelly. Was that a thing you had some experience when you were playing magic all those many years? I'm from Appalachia. People here can generally be fat and smelly without playing cards. So we have card <laughs> conventions. I'm not wanting to insult my hometown. There's a lot of very fit and attractive people mm-hmm. around here, but I- I've been to, uh, we got a place around here called uh, Magic City, mm-hmm. which is uh, our Star City Games, which is one of the biggest card dealers on the East Coast. And they have a convention at one of the centers around here. And it, you would need, an industrial grade beefkeeping refrigerating refrigeration unit to tamp down the body odor in that room. It's just a fung that hangs over the air when you walk into this place. That being said, most of the guys are much better about hygiene now. It's nowhere near what it was in the early 2000s. Did you ever play in uh, locals, actually, like in tournaments, even though you're playing casually? I played in a few, uh, so back before Commander was really heavily supported Mm -hmm. by Magic, I did play in a few EDH tournaments, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I ever won them. I, uh, I won a few games here and there, but I, (laughs) I was never a top tier player. Yeah. That's the thing is I, I I went to locals and stuff, but I, if I put more effort into it to be in that level, I probably could have been pretty good, but it's just like, people can be like personalities in these games can be so just insufferable, you Mm -hmm. know? So Plus cringe, it's supposed, act. It's supposed to be fun. You're taking a break from life. It's like, why am I going to take this tremendously seriously when I'm doing other things I have to take seriously? But that's that's my thought. Maybe that's why I'm a casual player, not a professional <laughs> Maybe player. Maybe that's why we're casuals, because we're actually just like, hmm, we're treating this as basically it. I just want to blow up the steam. Go zero, yep. three, drop. Well, probably <laughs> find a new hobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so like what with, you, Oh, go yeah, ahead. No, sorry. Uh, Fine. I was going to say, it's like with some of these video games where people go to play competitively and I get on, it's like, no, I'm, I'm just having fun. And then you make the mistake of going on to the one of the servers and well, now you're dead in the first five seconds and then you're dead in the next two seconds. And <laughs> it's like, well, apparently I'm just getting camped because I don't know the special spin flip move. The moment you spawn in where you turn to the side and headshot mm-hmm. some guy and then run away. Like, <laughs> 
Then, I don't, um, I, the other thing is um, with trading card games, people have to factor in the, the amount of money you generally casually invest in over the years. If I took the money that I ever invested in Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon and all that stuff throughout the years and just kept it for myself, let's just say I would be a lot more financially beneficial at this moment. So I, I've heard people say that, and I was uh, recently, because in my free time since I write, I mm -hmm. like to look at like realistic things and studies of economics and history and mm -hmm. stuff like that. There was this one guy talking about how we all say, well, if I didn't just smoke or if I didn't just drink or if I weren't this mm -hmm. card game, or if you would have spent that money on something probably anyway to just live, you know, just, just yeah. to enjoy yourself. Because the idea of just going through life with nothing to enjoy, what's the point of life? It, like, even if you like they do that whole coffee thing, like, oh, if you were to just not buy a coffee like every day, it's like, well, yeah, at the end of the year, they'd have what? 200 bucks. Yeah. That's not even going to pay your rent. It is. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said for saving a lot of money, but with how the, the markets have not been doing well lately, we're just coming out of a cycle where it's just been great for decades. And right. now we're mm -hmm. returning to the status quo. You know, you can't, yeah, you can't keep the idea of, or sorry, you can't invest on the idea of infinite growth because growth does have to stop at some point. Yeah, and plus, if you're factoring in for a, uh, oh, sorry, to answer your first thing, yeah, I think uh, people got to understand if you literally spent that money that you're thinking about on trading card games, that would that would go to like anything else. That would go to basically, I don't know, candy or fucking, I don't know, alcohol or weed or literally anything. That money is quite literally spent anywhere else, honestly. You know, but and I never understood why people always ragged on themselves for spending money on something you enjoyed. Like what? It's quite the opposite of why you would spend it. Now, if you overspend and it's causing you to be late on your bills, okay, that's when there's an addiction. That's yep. when you got to kind of rein yourself in. But if you're just casually spending just to have fun. You have you have the disposable income and your bills are paid. You have you should have nothing to feel bad about. That's why. Exactly. You work hard. You get disposable income to spend it on things you want. That's how life works. <laughs> and I mean, what are you supposed to do? Not spend any money and be a good little corporate cog for your entire life so you get to the yeah. end of your life and have nothing good to remember? They used to lick their boots every day. And it's like screw that. Like, they made basically they remember they made you. Yeah, they hired yeah. you. They discovered uh, yeah. you. <laughs> it's like I, I would rather go play some games with some friends. Maybe go spend a few hundred bucks on a like a fun night every uh, every couple months. You know, hang out with friends, have some drinks, eat some good food. You know, what's the point of life if you don't enjoy something from time to time? Yeah, and. That's why I always told people, hey, you know, comic books and reading other things has been great for my life, personally. I've I've always, mm -hmm. like, back, back when I didn't even have TV at a certain point, we didn't have cable. I would get, like, manga books, and I have other things to do. Like, also, we had consoles, but there was a point where we couldn't afford, like, basic mm -hmm. cables. We didn't have that. So every month, I would, I would look forward to getting the latest Shonen Jump book and reading mm -hmm. all the manga chapters in there. Maybe extra money here, spend it on a manga to put it to my collection, you know, yep. because that's what i found interesting that's what i found fun it's so crazy how the things that people just naturally did just to escape are now filled with like such drama attached to it i just <laughs> uh god lee because it, it's crazy people don't actually factor this in man even if you people gotta realize they're coming to these things to like escape from life or whatever there's always going to be guys trying to be the person on top yeah it's, it's just naturally going to happen even in hobbies i don't understand that many years ago it's like why are these people existing because they want to be on top they want to be the best known person in in this for whatever reason it can even not be for like valid reasons it could be like oh i'm making my mom proud it's like oh, oh okay first your mom is not proud of you topping a Yu-Gi-Oh event but i guess I think, 
I think what it is, is that corporate America is on such a massive lockdown right now. It's so hard to advance in anything when you're so disposable. And you've mm-hmm. got these people who are naturally extremely ambitious, mm-hmm. but they're denied the ability to, to succeed in the business world. Well, they got to have an outlet for that just endless ambition. So they pick something mm-hmm. like comics or games or something like that, and they throw it all into that because they can't find an outlet anywhere else. So suddenly you have all these really anal, like slave driving people in here because they can't find an outlet in the real world. Mm-hmm. Everything's so homogenized. It's so easy to get fired from a position Like you can. There's so many people I know who have really high level degrees. Like I work with a guy who's got a master's in engineering, but we make more as armed security. <laughs> so like what, what's this guy supposed to do? The guy works like 90 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Like he's really trying to make a go of life, mm-hmm. but he can't like you would think a guy with a master's in mechanical engineering would have the whole world open to him. But he makes mm-hmm. he makes more at what we do. You've got all these people who are really ambitious, who are just kind of pressed down. They have to have an outlet somewhere. It's just like what we're talking about with the games. You know, mm-hmm. you have to have an right. outlet in your life. But some people are geared to work. That's how they're born. They want to get out there yeah. and conquer the world but they hit an endless wall of bureaucracy. So how did you start on YouTube actually? Ah, so when I first wrote my, uh, when I wrote my first book, I was actually, uh, so I spent a long time just not being on the internet because I got completely tired of it. Like I had a, a troll account and sometimes I'd go on there and just screw with people. But I wrote my first book and I'm like, okay, now I have to learn to advertise. So I joined a small uh, social media group, not Twitter at the time, because Twitter was a dumpster fire. Um, Not that it's not much of a dumpster fire now, but it was more of a dumpster fire then. So I wanted to advertise a bit. So I joined a small group called Minds. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to advertise here. And it was pretty good for a while. There were a lot of authors there. And I'm like, okay, I need to get my book reviewed by somebody on YouTube. Well, I tried. I probably wrote about 100 people who did BookTube. And if I was lucky, I got a response. So I'm like, okay, well, nobody seems to be reviewing indies. I'm like, well, maybe I can just fill that niche. Maybe I'll start doing this. And there were a few people on Minds I didn't know about at the time who were doing this. But maybe I'll start reviewing people's work and we can all build our little channels up reviewing each other's work. And so I started reviewing, uh, I reviewed the, there's a first book I reviewed called Destin, which is actually a cool little series about, uh, I don't want to call them fish people, but it's like a birth crisis and it's based on Indian folklore. It's pretty cool. And since then, I've just been reviewing books and I went from reviewing exclusively indie books to reviewing Indian mainstream books and some classical books to I decided to just throw myself as hard as I could into literature, into actual storytelling. Throw yourself into the fire. I'm going for all of it. (laughs) But all my life, I was interested in uh, politics, processes, and how things worked. So I have a long history of that. So I'm like, okay, well, all writing is based on life. So how can I apply this and what I learned with my engineering degree and what I learned from all the sociological stuff that I read? I'm like, okay, well, this should help me in writing because I have a decent understanding of how the mind works and how processes work. So I started really throwing myself into the art of storytelling. And it's like, okay, I want to make storytelling better, not just from myself, but from everybody. So all I can do in this case is read other people's work, talk about what I like, what I didn't like, and what my thoughts are about what was going on, and try to help 
steer people into things I think might improve them. And I'm also trying to do some, uh, I've got one video up on writer's technical. I've been trying to do the second, but my computer has been so buggy lately, probably because it's about 10 years old. I can't finish the second video. <laughs> like I built the computer myself, but it's so freaking buggy because it's, I've been replacing components for the last 10 years. Your and computer one is 10 out. years old? No yes. way. What, yes. your since, you had a new computer since 2014. Uh, 2015. It's almost 10 years old. Oh my God. No, I gotta be honest here. I'm getting myself a new, uh, a new tower very soon too. It's just, oh, you know, same. yeah, I, cause <laughs> I realized my things are going a little bit slower and I, I'm just, I'm just still bothered by it at this point. You know, it's not like ever bad, but to the point mm -hmm. where it's like, I, I just, you know how you get to a point in your life. You're like, I just need something new. Cause I've had this for so long. Mm -hmm. kind of feeling. Uh, yeah, I felt that I was going to buy a uh, a new tower, but instead I uh, I bought a house. So that's a <laughs> I think I made the right choice. There. You bought a house over a computer? What the hell? Oh my well, god! <laughs> it's not it's not a big house, but I got a half acre of land, and I do like to uh, I do like to do a bit of gardening because I found out the food I grow tastes so much better than the crap I buy from the store. <laughs> like like I, I've always loved to cook, so I started growing my own tomatoes to make spaghetti. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. It's like, why is this tomato sauce so much better than the crap that comes out of the can? So I was checking out your channel before this and you, I, I knew you had did a lot of indie reviews and stuff. Are you ever at any point going to go over like popular mainstream stuff and give your opinions on that? At some I, point al too? I already do. Uh, mm -hmm. So I read the, uh, the iron flame series as it is so far. It's actually the best seller on Amazon. It's through a mainstream publisher. Um, okay. I did not like it at all. It's uh, if that's what I've been familiar, hearing about these best-selling author new titles on Amazon being sold are just complete crap now. Well, they're crap for uh, for people like you and I. We would probably despise them. Now, that's not to forgive some of them because some of them everybody's going to despise. But some of these books are just hot garbage. Just okay. So the worst book I have ever been subjected to was a handbook for mortals and. This book is literally just, I don't know if this person's from the South. I don't think they are because the main character is supposed to be from this area and she's a freaking chatterbox. And the book is just her exposition going off on tangents randomly and name dropping people she's met in Las Vegas as she goes to take part in this magic show. Now here's the premise of the book. She's supposed to be a witch getting part, taking part in a magic show, but there's almost no magic except for a few scenes, which are completely unfollowable. It's just nightmare garbage. It's the longest book. It's not long. Honestly, it's not the longest book I've ever read, but it feels like the longest book I ever read. I swear it took 10 years off my life. And it's just, it's horrible. And the reason this was a popular book or not really popular, it was a popular topic was because they think, and if I remember correctly, that she paid for a lot of five-star reviews, which is becoming a big thing in the writing community. Paying for reviews. I mean, that's a uh, that's been something that the movie industry or the TV industry has been facing now too. They're, we've always thought that. I mean, fans. I don't understand. The, the good thing about the internet is the internet's been able to give people this access to say how they feel about stuff they've always felt about. But you gotta understand, back in the day, 10, 20 years ago, we didn't really have the ability to do this. So you know, when people say things like, "Oh, no one was thinking this way," how would we know? We didn't have something like like this back in the day to know how people felt. We didn't have Twitter. Yep. We didn't have these 
platforms to express the true meaning of how people may or may not have felt. So whenever someone says that, it's, it's always, I know from someone's own perspective, but as a fan of many of these things, there's like award shows. It's like, are people paying for these awards? Because you look at some of these stuff, they, they, these stuff that gets awards, you're like, what the fuck? This is so, straight trash. <laughs> so there are there are places you can pay for reviews, but there's two different types of places. There are places you're going to pay for perfect 100% reviews. You know, I want this many of this and this many of that and this many of that. And then there are groups you can pay to have your book submitted to where the people will read and then give you a review and feedback. You got to take the bad with the good. And often you have to have your book reviewed before you can even get into these groups. And they can be a little bit pricey. But that's the thing. As an author, reviews are your lifeblood. Getting reviews on your book can make the difference between having any sales at all and just having a complete blank page of nothing. So it can be really, and it's really hard to convince people when you're first starting out to review your book. Once you get a little bit bigger and you start getting a bit of a following, it becomes easier. But starting out, it's it's practically murder trying to get somebody to review your work. And there's other reviewers like me out there. And I, tr- I, I do have a list of books I'm trying to review, but I'm only one guy. I can't read but so much at a time, <laughs> especially giving any one book the attention that it deserves. You know, you got to take notes. You have to talk about the story. You have to understand what's going on and make sure you actually grasped what you were reading. And in my case, you also run into the problem where sometimes you're just too wore out to actually read the book and you might have to take a second crack at it. There's a few books I've read more than once just because I wasn't sure I understood what was going on. And it might've been because I worked 70 hours that week or I got really caught up in something else I was doing, or I was just tired or I was just sick. You know, you got to take any, sorry, uh, you got to take any review that you read with a grain of salt because there's any number of things that can affect it. Some of those reviews are also, you could tell are weirdly bought it. So before I, so sometimes on Amazon, before I buy a new comic book or anything or buy a trade paperback, I'll try to go through some of the reviews. Some of them are straight up the same ones. <laughs> this book was great. I bought it for my husband. Yeah, they really yeah. liked it. <laughs> and then you go on the next review, it's the same thing. And you're like, okay, that might be a coincidence. The third one, same thing. That's why I just, reviews are so, uh, I would say disingenuously bad now, I would say. Because you just don't know if that's an actual bot or an actual person behind it. So I'll ask you this too. Is, do you have your own book series actually? Yes, I have two right now. I've got uh, Battle Games, which is a science fiction sports book. Okay. Ironic, ironically, I don't watch sports, but I wrote a sports book. And <laughs> then I have uh, the Hapless Homesteader series, which is about a guy who is homesteading in uh, the ruins of a city where everybody died. So mm-hmm. that one's just a fun. Se- that one was just a fun series on. Okay, he's got to survive. What does he need to know, and how is he going to find this information? Mm-hmm. So it was just, it, I wrote it during the, uh, during the time where the uh, disease that cannot be named came out and uh, some of the conspiracy theories are what launched that idea. But the whole book is just more of the guy trying to survive and what life is like after everybody else has died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've got the second book in battle games coming out soon. I just wanted mm-hmm. to, uh, I'm sure you like you've watched anime. You notice that almost no tournament arc ever gets finished. Pretty much. Yeah, well, that annoyed Maybe except me. for um, uh, you Hawkinshow, I remember the Dark Tournament arc finished, but it always ends up with um, 
I don't know. It never the way a tournament arc starts versus how it ends is so drastically different. I would say. <laughs> yes. Well, I wanted to focus a little bit on actual sports. So it's a sport centered around combat with weapons that stun and don't kill. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I've been on teams before when I was in high school. There's always a lot of drama on the team. You know, you got a lot of egos bumping up against each other. And you see that with professional sports teams. You got a lot of egos bumping up against each other. You know, there's a whole industry around covering that news. It's like, okay, so what can I add to this? And how are the players going to act? And, you know, I've got all these high level athletes bumping up against each other, but you've also got, because I've actually ironically worked with former professional athletes, like they all go home eventually. (laughs) You know, once you're done playing, a lot of them go home. Well, the problem a lot of them have is they spend all their money. They were just partying and having fun. You know, they get a million dollar contract. They spend all that money on stupid, frivolous crap. They get to play for two seasons and well, now they're broke again. Now they're back working at the factory with you. It's really weird, but it was, it's a fun little experiment. And there was uh, some dark stuff that I threw under there. That's going to come out more in the second book. There's some hints at it in the first book, but really Battle Games was my, is my first foray into writing. So it's where I'm cutting my teeth. It's where I'm learning what works and what doesn't. And I kind of made the mistake of starting with a, a book that has seven main characters. <laughs> so my, my advice to any writer out there is start small. Start on a smaller story. Two series, one about sports, one about sci-fi. And, uh, and you said the second book is coming out in your first series very soon, right? Yeah, uh, so the first series is sci-fi sports. The second book is post-apocalyptic homesteading. Okay, sci-fi sports, post-apocalyptic. Both series have, you said, roughly about two books in, in, in the series so far? So the first series has two books in it. The, first, yes. and the next one's coming out in February. The uh, second series, I've got the second book done. I just okay. haven't had the time to go through and, you know, do all the, the editing. Typos and editing, okay, yeah. Okay, so you, so, you're, so you got your own stuff going on. And that, that that's the thing is when I eventually in my head when I'm envisioning a series or whatever, I wanted to have a series where I covered multiple genres. I I was never someone where I was like, you know, I wanted to just be beholden to one thing. Cause I, I was kind of in my head picture. I'm gonna put my character in like sort of like detective story. And it's not like it it wouldn't be canon. It would be tied to the main main timeline. Maybe I want to have a series where they were going on in space and fighting space, like, like like alien nights or something. I don't fucking know, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't do that. If I was like tied to one genre, I feel like people never get to explore their full creative potential being tied to just one specific genre, actually. So ironically, a lot of the books that I see first timers write are always a mix of different genres, or they try to do a mix of different genres, or they try to do something huge and epic. And it's these big epic stories require a little bit more experience than I think a lot of people are giving them credit for. Like you, you need to be a li- you need to be in the world a little bit, cut your teeth a little bit um, uh, to give a good example. And I'm not sure I haven't read his second book. Uh, there's a book reviewer called Daniel green. And he started his first, like his first book was a novella, just maybe 140 pages. It was a light crime drama in a fantasy world. And it wasn't that bad. It was a pretty good little book. Uh then we have to compare it to like uh, Shad from Shadiversity, who wrote like an 800 page trash fire. <laughs> uh, I'm still getting crap for uh, uh, he did a thing where he was defending his book and he was getting a lot of the reviews like you were talking about, where it feels like it's a bot. 
It feels like, you know, oh, it might've been a fan or this or that. So he does this video. It's like, well, look at all these good reviews that I got. And, you know, I'm tired of getting bombarded by these people who just hate me because I'm into AI art. So I'm like, okay, I want to let all the people who listen to me know as an author, you don't come out here and do this stuff. You don't come out here and attack your readers saying it's like, well, you know, these are good reviews are really the truth. And all these trash reviews are just people brigading. It's like, no, it's like some of these, like, if you look at his reviews, like the negative reviews are usually pretty long and detailed about stuff that's wrong in the book. Uh, but a lot of the positive reviews just sound like, Hey, I like Shad. I've watched his channel and you know, I, I got the book and it was great. You know, iron age, blah, blah, blah. not to disparage the iron age or anything, but he, he, He's a YouTuber with a million subscribers and he sold 40,000 books and he thinks this is some kind of big achievement, but it's not really. You got a million people who listen to you and 40,000 bought your book. That's what, 4%? Yeah, Jen, that's the other key thing you just mentioned there. 40,000 people bought your book. We have no clue of maybe 2,000 people even read that book actually. You know, that's the thing people don't bring up too is like I, I never disparage someone from getting a product out that they really passionate about and selling it and people buy it but if you are ever going to improve as a potential writer or whatever you want to do if people don't legitimately read that then mm-hmm. none of this is really going to matter now for me i've always told people because i know how people can be if I, if I ever get whenever i do get this book done if people don't don't read it and they just buy and support that that's totally fine i'm not, I'm not gonna not say no to money but if you're someone who's trying to basically criticize me on storytelling, then I need to know if you actually read the story. Cause it would yep. be really stupid for you to say, I'm bad at this yet. When I confront you about this specific thing about what you didn't like, and you have no clue what I'm talking about. Then at that point, I would probably just legit throw myself out a window. I'm like, <laughs> what am I arguing with? Cause you no. know, people will do that. People will do that about stories. And I'm like, people will say these things about comic books and other things. I know I've read in my life. I'm like you're legit lying. This never happened. You just made that up. It was like Dr. Manhattan memes. Like, it's all made in his head. <laughs> I need to save that meme. That's the best meme of life, I'll say. Holy crap. It eats so well. Uh, oh. God. I, Watchmen like, was bad. Because that, that's what happened to like bookstores. And like, I, I, I know you're familiar with the whole New York publishing bullshit, right? Where mm-hmm. like some of these authors on Twitter, they're like, yeah, I'm the best selling author. It's in bookstores everywhere. You have no clue if anyone bought that book. <laughs> and you do realize your book probably sold like 2,000 copies and a bunch of bookstores have to keep like 40,000 of those books on their in their storage locker that they yep. probably can't sell anymore after two weeks if you're not popular or if your writing is terrible. Or if your writing is terrible, no one's buying your book at all anymore. Well, you also have to keep into a, uh, take into account bias. Like you've got a lot of these yeah. TikTokers who will mm-hmm. – uh, so I recently reviewed the second book in the Light Lark series by Alex Astor. She's a popular TikToker. She does book talk, I think. And her book series is hot garbage. It's probably one of the worst things I've ever read. Um, so it's uh, even the names of the re- now. I'm friends with some. Uh, I'm friends with some authors and some reviewers who didn't think the series was that bad. And I know some people who really like the series. But as a guy and as somebody who rather likes the fantasy genre, I thought it was probably one of the worst things I read last year, if not the worst thing I read last year. But she names all of her character, like all of the races in her world. They're like the wildlings, the starlings, the uh, moonlings, like everything's a ling. (laughs) 
the like if the leader dies, everybody in the country dies. It's like, okay, so why are the people in the country allowing their leaders to just run about where they can get killed? It's like, what? Why is a uh, like nobody in this series seems to have any preservation instinct? And in the second book, the main character is ruling two nations, but apparently she has nothing but weeks on end to just go out and train to make herself more powerful. I'm like, okay, you you need to have some concept of time. People have responsibilities especially <laughs> rulers and like and you're ruling two realms that are really suffering because you just came out of some calamity but now you're going to go on a two-week training vacation with your boyfriend <clears throat> yeah this doesn't make any sense and I, I think that's every author has a weak spot and i think a lot of these newer authors that you're seeing in the mainstream have weak spots in like uh knowing when to stop a a conversation between characters, knowing when to keep real world slang out of the book and keeping track of time because time is finite. We all know time is finite. You only have so much time in your day to do stuff. You know, if your character is supposed to be traumatized because they were trapped in their room for 14 years, you can't go back and say, well, they were sneaking out all the time and going on these grand adventures. Well, then they're not (laughs) traumatized because they were never trapped. (laughs) It's like somebody should have. I was oh. like, that, that that was the problem with the Light Lark series. The main character is supposedly trapped in this big glass room all of her young adult life. Mm-hmm. But she keeps escaping with this thing called the Star Stick that lets her teleport everywhere. It's like, but she's in a glass room with Guardian. She's the leader of a nation. If she dies, everyone dies. You can't tell me they're not watching her 24 hours a day. <laughs> you know, I can promise you if there was, like, if in America the president died, everybody died. Well, by God, that guy would be watched 24 hours a day. <laughs> We'd have the military encamped around that guy. It'd be an iron dome. He'd be in one of those bunkers in the mountains somewhere. Because we don't want to die. <laughs> uh, it's the uh, other thing, and I think you probably noticed when it comes to like storytelling, is I think people always take in so much advice that they don't even know how to navigate what is good or bad. Have you noticed that with like writers now? Mm-hmm. They're always listening to everyone other than just listening to themselves. I'd rather someone – heeding advice is never a bad thing, but if you hear so much of it, you're just going to be just – you you won't be mindful of where to actually go personally, you know? Because you're always going to be like, well, what if this person doesn't like this? And what if this person doesn't like this character's interaction or this interaction? It's like there's only so much advice one person should be taking. Because if someone's already successful and if people like their books overall, but they're able – but the criticism is still there, but they're overall still fairly good – you know, I'll, I'll always take that over than like, you know, a bunch of people always giving advice to someone, even though they themselves, I don't know, can't even write <laughs> to, out of the way a paper bag, you know? <laughs> That's one of the reasons I was trying to do the writer's technical series. So like we get at the beginning of it, you figure, I give a little bibliography of what the author has done. Cause you've got a lot of people writing books on writing who've never written a successful book. It's like, you don't want to learn from the guy. Like, you know, like every poor guy has advice on how to become rich. Yeah. But if their advice yeah, actually works, they be rich. Handling. Yeah, they're yeah. self living outside of a box. It's like, it's why like, would so, I take advice from a hobo? Yeah. Like, what? So why would you take writing advice from people who've never written, you know, a very popular book? You know, I would take writing advice from J.K. Rowling. I'm a little more hesitant to take it from Stephen King because... Stephen I found King, out about, he's amazing, right? So yes. talented and so stunning and brave. <laughs> but I also found out about all the uh, uh, yeah uh, weird weird uh, weirdness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like uh, 
the, that scene in it that never made it into the movie, but uh, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that guy's a weirdo. I'm just gonna say that guy's a weirdo. It, it's so crazy how like uh, if he if his brain functioned, but he'll never act. Like, uh, it's weird because some of these people, these writers that they're the, the complete like top of the tier ones, <laughs> a good amount of them are all dead at this point too. <laughs> Oh, trust me, alcoholism runs rampant in the writing world because you get so stuck in your own head and you sometimes <laughs> you just need a way to get out. It's like, <laughs> oh, shit. But like, I'll be reviewing my story. It's like, okay, thinking back on this part, I think it's really, really cringe. And I'll go back and review it. It's like, no, that seems fine. And it's like, if you ever wanted a way to give yourself an aneurysm or some kind of mental disorder, just mm-hmm. write a big epic book. Do what George R.R. R. Martin did and write this big sprawling epic that goes across a couple continents with hundreds of POV characters. Yeah. I can promise you, he looks at that manuscript and just shudders at what he's made. It's like, I don't even want to touch it. Same person there, George R.R. R. Martin. I'm pretty sure a lot of his fans are still waiting on that book he's probably supposed to be making at some point We're like I, 10, I'm 12 years late on this book actually people so angry about that because i really i reviewed because i read the, i've read the series so far like seven times over game, game, i really oh, liked game of thrones it. okay yeah yeah i really liked it and then i get to the net last book and i'm like why is the next book not out yet <laughs> when was the last time the last book came out this wasn't like 2011 2011 it's been about decade since then george r, r. martin it, i oh my god when that book ever does come out because he, he he he's rich but he needs they, they always, people always want more money i could imagine right now he's not somewhat working on it at some point when it does come out and it's not good oh god just imagine a world where it comes out it's not good oh well, my look gosh at, look at all the hype that's built as a do you remember the game series duke nukem i don't think so oh it was so Duke Nukem was a really popular series back in the mm-hmm. early 2000s. And so this, uh, the studio said, okay, we're going to make like this big masterpiece. It's going to be Duke Nukem forever. It's going to be this huge thing. And it, I think it took like a decade for them to make the last one. And it was just terrible. But the thing was, if they had released it two years after the previous one, people would have been praising it to high heavens. But that 10-year gap brought everybody's expectations up through the roof and these people producing it, you know, trying to verify or trying to justify their jobs are like, Hey, you know, it's going to be amazing. We're going to do everything. It's going to be fantastic. And even if it had been a masterpiece, how's it supposed to live up to the hype? You know, you take so long to do It's like if half-life three were to come out now, it doesn't matter how good it is. Nobody would care. It's I think half-life two came out what in 2007. Yeah, same thing with like a uh, Left 4 Dead 3 where uh, good lord Valve and all that bullshit happened. It's like it's anything with, with like anime too. When they have long running animes and you finally do get to the end, there's just no way to satisfy at that point if the series is so big. You know, like there's no way he can write a book that is so satisfactory enough for how long it's take it's taken to get to this point. There, there, there's a good chance of it might might as well be just crap, honestly, for being I'm honest wait- here. I'm waiting till I'm 50 years old and Oda finally finishes one piece. And uh, just, <laughs> I remember Booker's out in 20 years and it's like, but I was taking time guys for quality. It's like, you've been writing this for 30 years. You bastard. 
Oh God. So I'll ask you about your specific writing techniques and stuff. So how do you go about your stories actually? So there are, there are two categories of writers and there are the, um, and everybody kind of falls in between. There's Mm -hmm. planners and then there's pantsers and there's like, there's the people who will plan out every autistic detail and then they go through and write. And then there are people who just sit down and write, you know, they'll like, okay, I want to write this story off. I go. And they just, do it beginning to end all the way to the end. I write out a rough outline of things I want to hit. So I've got these big scrolls of paper. They're about a foot and a half wide and I just run them down the wall and I lay out my timeline that has every major point that I want to hit. And anytime I have an idea while I'm writing is like, oh, they're doing this. Logically, this would happen next. I can throw it up on the timeline. And that way, as I'm going through writing, I can organize my thoughts. It's like, okay, I wanted this earlier, but it doesn't make sense that that would come up earlier. It makes sense it would come up here, or it makes sense it would come up in the next book. That way I know everything that's supposed to happen or everything that I want to happen. And I can let my characters act the way I need them to act. Because you, one of the biggest sins I think authors will commit is not allowing their characters to do what their characters would rationally do. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to use, I'm going to use Shad's book, Shadow of the Conqueror for this. Uh, he has a character called Dalus the Conqueror, who was this supposedly greatest conqueror on earth. He killed millions of people and did very not YouTube friendly things to hundreds of women. And so he got deposed and then he goes and jumps off the edge of the world and gains superpowers and becomes young again. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go and be, uh, I'm going to redeem myself. I'm going to be great. And the very first thing he starts doing when he gets into a city is starts murdering people again. Like he literally vivisects a hobo and pins his head to a wall with a dagger. Like it's, it's brutal. There's, there's a part in that book where he breaks into a house, like the Kool-Aid man and literally emasculates a dude. Like just pulls it off and throws it in the street. But the thing is he doesn't feel remorseful. And honestly, the story should have been a villain story. Dalis should have been, okay, I'm mad that they deposed me. I was owed all this stuff because I won two wars for them. I'm going to get them back big time. And now that I'm young and have superpowers, I can do that. And he was supposed to be this charismatic villain type, but you see no charisma in the story. Like his very first response to any problem is snark. And the immediate second response is extreme violence. You know, you have to, when you build your character, you have to let your character do what your character does. You, How do you deal with pacing since you've actually had several books now? <laughs> pacing is one of those things I've always, I feel I might have a little bit of difficulty with. I try to remind myself that not everything happens in a day, but history would prove me wrong because there are, there's a saying that there are days when decades worth of history happen. Um, basically, I try to keep, I try to keep a calendar if my book is going to expand over a long period of time. And I try to keep in mind how much you can do in a day. It's one of the reasons I'll go garden or work on my house or work on my car and try to keep track of these things. Try to keep track of what I'm doing, how it looks like, what it feels like, what time passage feels like. That's one of the things you have to do as a writer is go out and experience stuff. If you want it to be relatable, you have to have some concept as to what would make it relatable. Like, okay, my characters are work, uh, they work out all the time. 
So, you know, they got to run this far. It's like, okay, well, what's it like to actually run that far? How are they going to feel? How do you feel after, you know, spending a day on a workout you're not familiar with? How do you feel after a day of digging holes? You know, these are things you probably want to know. So it's good to be able to pull from a vast well of experience. Uh, so I would say to any author out there, if you really want to get your pacing down, uh, read historical events, read how things happened. And, it, you know, if you expose yourself to that enough and to enough good works, you can kind of develop a, a, a second sense about it. But really the best thing I can encourage people to do is get beta readers, get other people to read your work. And creating characters. So I, I, I know that a lot of people have always their main character they focus on in every story. But what I always notice is what makes a really good main character is like supporting characters. How do you mm -hmm. go about creating your supporting characters to make your main characters like the villains or the heroes shine? Yeah, I, I, I don't even do that. So in, in battle games, uh, what mm -hmm. I did is like, okay, these are the characters I want. Let's throw them in there and see what shenanigans they get up to. So mm -hmm. uh, Frankie, the captain of the team, he uh, like, I always found late stage shonen protagonists to be really funny because they're stupidly overpowered. They're kind of mm -hmm. dumb, but they're remarkably overconfident. Mm -hmm. So that's Frankie. He's he doesn't understand that other humans have limits because he's mm -hmm. never faced limits himself. You know, he does things, he hurts himself, but he always comes out on top anyway. You know, he doesn't get sore like other people. He's stupidly strong. He's basically a savant. But everybody else around him is about as normal as I could make them. Like his vice captain Harpy, uh she comes from uh, a really rough situation. So she's a little bit cruel, a little bit mean, and sometimes downright abusive. Well, Frankie, you can't really punish the dude. So you've got this almost authoritarian vice captain who's in charge of the training because Frankie can't do it. And she has to find ways to regulate this guy who literally can't be punished with physical activity. So it's trying to find the interactions, I think, between your characters that would make characters stand out more. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter what characters you throw into it. As long as the characters are genuine, the stars will come out and the, the the story will be more engaging because your characters are acting as they are supposed to act. Oh, and the other thing I would also tell people as well is, uh, you know, like any story, wherever you're following with a TV show, an animation movie, not every character has to be like some grand like big things. Like just let the chef guy be the chef guy. Yep. You know? Not everything has to be like the next biggest thing ever. I hate when people do that. Like, I, I, was talk, I, was talk, I was talking to a friend about like writing and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, the best stories ever have all their mysteries uh, like uh, unfolded in. And I'm like, no, that's stupid. You, you want mystery <laughs> in a story. Like, I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's actually heard some <laughs> nonsense. Literally said, well, 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 this one best author of all time did, did, did it this way. And I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> I'm sitting like yeah, you know you're talking to someone. You're just hearing some nonsense. You're like, I'm not hearing. It. I'm gonna. I'm really gonna take this in my brain, yeet it all out. But <laughs> I took what I heard, and I was like, I am not listening to any of this. All that is trash. Just saying. I would because I I don't know why people do that, dude. Because one famous guy did it. That means everyone should be doing it. It's like, well, no. It's just how like, man. Imagine having free will. How that would work, right? <laughs> well, after Harry Potter came out, how many wizard school stories or special school stories did we see come out after that? Yeah. Same people are still trying to recreate Star Wars and Lord of the Rings to very failed degrees, I would say. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't have to be original. I just say, write the story you want to write. 
but that inc- that requires you to kind of be in touch with who you are. You know, you got to, it, it's great to take inspiration from things like Star Wars was inspired by, if I remember correctly, old samurai movies. Mm-hmm. You know, but they aren't just rehashes of those old samurai movies. There's some genuine stuff in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Granted, other people really like Star Wars more than I. I, I think Star Wars is fun. I think it's a good mm-hmm. story. I don't think it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like Lord of the, like, I honestly didn't care for the Lord of the Rings books. A lot mm-hmm. of people really do. A lot of people love mm-hmm. those things. Did you, did you like the Chronicles of Narnia books? I think I read one, but that was before I really started reading. Okay. <laughs> what it's else series the, is there? Did you did you read the Hunger Games? I did not. I okay. didn't care for the idea because I live in an area that's already really poor and sometimes <laughs> food can be hard to get to. It's like it's like people want to read horror stories like, dude, I live in the backwoods. I don't need anything else to freak me out in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's like, don't you want to read this story about how this person gets caught by some monster in the woods and cut to pieces? No, I don't want to read that. It's like, yeah, I, actually have to. I love people, man. They're like, you want to read about, about this person getting absolutely dismembered by a freakish monster? Like, hey, no. <laughs> what? It's like, don't you want to hear about these people who are trapped in this house by this convict? No. It's like, I, I had to live God. with convicts. I don't want to read about it. I, I lived it. It's like, why uh, do you like comedy so much? It's because everything around me is so dark. Mm-hmm. It's like, I oh actually live Lord. with the cryptids. But that, that being said, I'm getting a little more forgiving of horror nowadays. But some of the old school horror, because most horror nowadays isn't that scary. But you go back to some of this old horror, this old school stuff, you know, who <laughs> like back in the 80s when everything was weirdly shiny and looked like it would all be sticky to touch. Those were some freaky days, <laughs> but it could just because I grew up in that time that I think that. So I want to ask you this, which is about like the Iron Age and indie books in general. So what do you think holds back indie creators in terms of anything that you can think of as like one of the major factors. So the sad truth is, and this is something I want to encourage. I want to tell everybody out there before you start writing, regardless of how good you are, regardless of what you make, there is always the chance you will never get noticed that your books will never do well and that no one will ever read what you write. That's just a sad fact of being a writer. If you don't like to tell stories, if you don't want to do this for the fun of doing it, and you can't take accomplishment in the fact that you did something nobody else usually does, then it's probably not something for you because writing is not a way to get rich. Writing is not a way to get notoriety. It's something fun you can do and you can tell stories and it's a hobby that might one day pay. Remember to do this for the fun of it, for the actual craft of doing it. Like just because say you learn to carve wood or work with wood, that doesn't mean you're going to be some successful master carpenter. It doesn't mean you're going to be selling these big thousand uh, thousands of dollars intricate mantelpieces to stupid billionaires, but you've got to do something with your life. You got to have something to enjoy outside the mundane work we all have to do. And if you can't bring yourself to enjoy telling a story, it's like, okay, I think this would be cool. And even if you just share it with a small group of people and they think it's cool, sometimes that might have to be enough. Like I've got to come to terms with the fact I'm losing money on all the books that I'm publishing. It's like, it doesn't matter how many people read it. The chances of me actually becoming a big famous author or a big famous YouTuber are pretty low, but I'm having fun doing it. 
I'm talking about the things I want to talk about. I'm writing the stories I want to write. And if I get to the end and I'm the only one that enjoyed doing it, well, that's all that really mattered because we all die alone. <laughs> yeah. There's no point in there's no point trying to please everybody. Yes, you want to please some of the people around you. You want to keep your family happy, but writing something you do for you. You know, it's- the other other thing that I'll mention there is people feel like they need validation from like their friends and family. If I, I used to have that a long time ago too, when it comes to it, like, why, why don't I get my friends and family to watch my videos? And they didn't want to. I just had to understand, like, you know, no one's entitled to, you know bothered mm-hmm. to look at anything you're doing. And I think a lot of people now in this space are still struggling with that. A lot of people do, not just one person, a lot of people struggle with, with that. It's like, you're not entitled to anyone to read anything you're doing or watch anything you're doing. That's yep. just how it is. You know, I think people coming to us going like, oh, I'm going to be big and I'm going to do all these things. It's like, yeah, but you need to also, there's this thing called growing. A lot of people forget in the stage. You, I, I think people legitimately think they're going to like make an indie book not just a novel or anything or graphic novel and be like, I'm going to hit it big. I'll become the next Batman or Superman or whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's just not going to happen. I, I try to explain to people constantly, dude, and they just don't listen. It's like, okay, go do it yourself. And then when you don't get that same success in your first ever thing, I won't say I told you so. I'll just know that I was right. And this is how it works. I'm sorry. Yep. I, I would love if someone I had on the show became the biggest thing. That'd be awesome. But I know that's not how it works. You no. know, we're not like, I hate having to be like this person myself into believing shit I know is not true. I hate it, man. <laughs> and that's the thing. People do this with writing. It's like writing is one of the most grueling things you're going to do because you mm-hmm. you can't just bring other people in on it. This is all you. And people write these huge, huge books. Like, I'm going to do this 800-page epic. And I'm like, why? It takes so much work. You have to revise so much. And if you want to make an audio book, you can forget it. And editing prices are ridiculous. Hmm. Like, like to get a book properly edited, like I just had uh, my second book edited. Mm-hmm. And I think I trimmed it down from, uh, so my first book was about 92,000 words when I first mm-hmm. published it. It's not a huge book, but it's not a small book. The second book, because I took time out to refine my writing style, uh, it's about 68,000. And I think the better I get, the shorter my books will become because I learned to say more with less. It's like when you play magic, you can have a 60 card, anything 60 cards or above in basic magic. But the best players stick as close as they can to that 60 card limit. It's learning to do less with more. It's learning to know everything doesn't have to be huge and epic. Some of the best stories told are very, very small scale. They don't follow some legendary warrior who was foretold by prophecy. They follow random Joe down the street who's just in an unfortunate situation. I just reviewed the uh, I just reviewed another book in the Discworld series, and the first two books are probably some of my favorite because they follow a dropout wizard who can't cast any spells. <laughs> he's he's just kind of life's punching bag, but he's a coward, so he runs away from everything, and that's one of the reasons the spell took up residence in his head because it knew he would survive because he runs away from everything. It's like your characters don't have to be big. They don't have to be powerful. They can just be some random schmo who really just gets kicked around a bit. Mm. Yeah. You can take, take the whole Spider-Man two approach, getting beat yeah. down so hard until you get the, get, get the girl at the end. Yep. But I mean, that's, that's <laughs> writing in itself. You're, you're going to have to, 
It's like anything. You have to be willing to dedicate 10,000 hours to it to get good at it. And you might have to do that with several different things to get good at it. And it's always going to be the stubborn people who break through. Like, so I've never read a Brandon Sanderson book, but I know enough people who have to get a general gist of how he writes. He's not got very strong prose and he's got some weird themes, but the dude is so ridiculously prolific, never ending and just pounds away at it. This dude writes Game of Thrones size books like for a year, like over over lockdown. I think he wrote his regular books. Then he wrote another five books on top of it and ran a GoFundMe to get them published, raising, I think it was like $20 million. It's like sometimes you can get somewhere just be by being so bloody minded, stubborn that you refuse to yeah. quit. <laughs> so I think, you know, you have days in writing and I've had this back in the day too, where you just, you feel like you just straight up shit and you don't want to do it. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you get, how do you get past those phases actually? So, uh, as I'm finishing up this uh, second writer's technical, there's one good way that I've actually adopted. And sometimes it's just, you sit down and you just write something else for a while. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter if it's good. Or if it doesn't matter if it's bad, you sit down a character, you sit down a premise and you just write and write and write and write and write. Because I look at writer's block, like having a clog in your pen. You know, if you keep working it out, eventually it will pass and you'll get back to where you can write again. Of course, it also might be, you just wrote yourself into a corner. And you might have to go back and revise something. Don't be afraid to cut anything. It's like, I've gone through some of my books and be like, no, I don't think my, I've been like a chapter in, like wrote a whole chapter. And it's like, I don't like how this chapter turned out. X the whole thing out and start over. Mm-hmm. Do not be afraid to start over because the book's not done until it's done. As long as you're at the point before it's published, you can change anything you want about it. You can alter it. You can trash it and start all over. You could change the writing style from book to book. You Writing is complete creativity. You can do it however you want. It's like, uh, so you're familiar with the movie Fight Club, I take it. So yes, yeah. Fight Club was a book before it was a movie. And it's pretty roughly written. Like it's probably, if I were to have read the book before I saw the movie, I probably wouldn't have liked the book as much, but it was a very popular book. So, and Sanderson's the same way. His pros are pretty rough. Just because you're not perfect at something doesn't mean it's not going to be good. If you can do something well enough, if you could be fascinating enough or just unique enough, people will pick it up and read it for the spectacle of it. Like, um, I know I'm getting off topic, but uh, so I've got a, uh, uh, I've got a friend of mine uh, who's uh, Iago Chan. He's a, He's a Chinese guy. He English is a second language and he wrote a book called Lime's Fable. And it's got to be one of the wildest things I have ever read in my life. It's like a D&D party but with heavy Asian influences. So here's the party in this story. It's a half vampire, half werewolf, some fairy woman, uh, two guys who are earthlings. And by that, they're made of dirt and they eat rocks and gems. A sorcerer who rides on a saber and then an old man with a sketchbook and a cleaver. They're going to fight a five-eyed dragon that controls the weather and has been burning down the countryside. It is the wildest story I think I've ever read. (laughs) It's got some errors. It's a little bit rough in the prose, and it takes a little bit of Mm rereading. But it was fun for the spectacle of it. It was insane. Like it's, I think it might be 140 pages. You could read this thing in about two or three hours, but it was a fun little book. And I encourage people to just 
just go have fun with writing. Write the story you want to write. If you want to write some weird, wicked tale out there, if you think this would just be fun, it's not groundbreaking, just do that. You don't have to follow the Game of Thrones formula or the Lord of the Rings formula. There doesn't have to be some big ancient bad. It doesn't have to be 10,000 years old. If you just want to be like, oh, last year, Joe from down the street got struck by lightning and now he's terrorizing the towns with some weird power he has. And you're telling the story of his neighbor who's trying to stop him. That's fine. Just just tell something fun. It doesn't have to be epic. Do you like that we have the Iron Age now? So Iron Age is, uh, it's really hard to say because I've read some some decent stuff out of the Iron Age. I've also read some stuff that was, for lack of a better term, word break. Horseshit. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to say it was horse like the like they had good concept they had good oh. uh, good idea, mm-hmm. but the execution was poor. The Iron Age could be a really good thing as long as it's encouraging more people to do good things. But I also worry that there are some bigger people who might be hijacking the movement who are simply using it to get more clout for themselves. Mm-hmm. But I encourage anything that gets people out there and gets them to writing, gets them to making something new that inspires them to make something new. And inspires them to break from the mainstream. But some of the problems I've had, like uh, like with Razor Fist's books, Razor Fist's first book was hot garbage. It was terrible. It was uh, his second book was moderately better. But there are people who like that stuff. The one of Razor Fist's biggest problem is people need to take a thesaurus away from this guy. I got so tired of hearing the word purloined. It's like I've got a pretty big vocabulary, but when you're writing. Keep the language toned down a bit. You, you want people to, you, you don't want to break the flow. There's a flow to reading. You got somebody locked in a daydream. And if you start using these big, weird words that nobody uses anymore, or you refer to a door as obese, as he does in the first book, it's like, how is the door obese? Stops and like, how's the door obese? What the heck is going? You don't want to break them from the dream. You're telling a story. As long if they get from the beginning to the end and lost all track of time, you have done the best possible job you can do. That is what you should be going for every time: a continuous train of thought all the way to the end, a story that satisfies, and something that people just get lost in. Mm-hmm. But Iron Age itself, I'd have to say it's a net positive, but I don't. Because really the idea know. of it is just people that are just creating stuff. You know, they want to get away from the mainstream or whatever that is for a lot of people and create their own thing and share with other like-minded individuals. I think stick to that. That's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we we, we know this. I'm a a bit older than a lot of people. And well, you're obviously older than a lot of people too. We know (laughs) uh, it's, it's a whole, like people tell themselves one thing, but in reality that it's never, that's the thing that never happens is like, there's something that will happen. I just don't want knowing what it is. So like some of these people that I've noticed, it's not anyone in particular because I've seen a lot of them do it. It's more like they don't really review each other's stuff because mm-hmm. they personally might feel like they'll burn some bridges and stuff. Well, how can we all improve if none of us are reading each other's stuff? Like if we want yeah. our own audience to read this stuff, it's, it's so weird how they, they want their own audience to read it, but their personal colleagues won't be interested in reading it at all. It's, it's not so weird dynamic we all have here, you know? <laughs> So I'm going to tell, tell people something that's going to be a little bit hard for them to, uh, to grasp at first. And that's giving an honest review to somebody is a mm-hmm. hard thing to do. 
-hmm. Going through and tell them everything you liked and disliked can be really difficult because you know you're probably going to hurt somebody's feelings. Mm -hmm. I have seen a lot of drama around people getting honest reviews because a lot of people who will get into this aren't getting into it with the best of intentions. They want to get in and they want to make that money. They want to be the next mm. big thing. It's like, if we all group together, we can do what the mainstream is doing. It's like, well, what the mainstream is doing is shit. You know, they're, they're literally packaging garbage and selling it to us. And I thought the whole point of the Iron Age was to get away from that, to actually tell stories worth telling. But honestly, I would say, if you want to be part of the Iron Age, be part of the Iron Age. Review other people's books. Be a good actor within the Iron Age. But if you don't want to be, you don't have to be. It's it's just like a lot of movements I've seen over the... Because there's there was the Tea Party, and then there's this movement, and then there's that movement. There's a hundred different movements out there at any given time, and the chances any of them actually succeed are fairly low. Fairly, fairly low. You're talking like 0.01% of these movements. Right. Or, or even just stay relevant or alive in a couple of years, too, because names could change. Another person could start their own movement, and then they're bigger, potentially. Like As long as the Iron Age does become what comic skate is, I think you're in a good <laughs> step in the right direction, I would say. <laughs> Well, in my case, I'm just like, I'm going to find good stories and good authors and hook up with them and promote the ones that I find that I think are good and try to help the ones that I think need help and call out the bad stuff I'm reading out of the mainstream. You know, you just got to, you got to approach it with a degree of honesty. Just because something is mainstream or just because something is independent doesn't mean it's going to be good or bad. It's all down to the author. And even then, even with the author, Lots of authors write some, like good authors write some crap books. Stephen King wrote an alternative history book about JFK not getting assassinated. And it did crap. Nobody read it. It was garbage. This was Stephen King. People were buying anything Stephen King. It's really easy to get pigeonholed if you become successful. And that's the thing. Not everything you write, even if it's your darling, even if you put your heart and soul into it, people might not read it. People might think it's crap. That doesn't mean necessarily that what you've made is crap. It just means that people aren't interested in your telling of this story. You know, try a different genre, try a different story, try a different yeah. track. That, that's don't, why I want to explore other genres than mm-hmm. just keeping yourself just, I don't know. I feel like people just feel like they're beholden to this one genre. It's like, you're going to go crazy. Cause at, at a certain point, not, not a lot of people I like to acknowledge this is there's a certain cap to everything. Everything, mm-hmm. every genre has stale points for anybody. Whether you go through a genre from, from its beginning roots all the way to maybe where you're at in like the middle of the genre, it always has stale points. And, and people always say, but if, if the story's good, it, it'll be fine. It's like, well, that's going to be a hugely subjective thing anyway. That's almost yep. just like a – when people say, oh, if the story's good, it'll sell. It's like, yeah, that's true, but that's such a – that's just a half glass full talking point because that's going to be subjective to any single person though. You can't just rely yep. on that. Storytelling, whether it's good or bad, is going to be completely built from how that person is going to feel about said story. That's just how it is. And it could just be the wrong, uh, right story at the wrong time. You know, you might, you might publish something today and continue writing and it doesn't become popular for decades. Hell, Van Gogh went his whole life in complete poverty because nobody wanted his crap until after he died. You can't expect writing will ever make you rich, will ever make you popular, or that you may ever actually see the fruits of what you're doing. It could be you write something and then you die in some weird way, and that's what makes your books popular. 
not encouraging people to go die in some weird way. But what I'm saying is, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, if you don't enjoy the actual art of writing, if you don't enjoy the craft, if you don't want to tell stories, maybe find something else to do. And and if you're going to be part of a movement, be part of the movement. You know, if you're in the Iron Age, review other people's stuff. Be honest with them. They might not like it, but you will have your integrity. You won't have to feel so bad. Yeah. A lot of people just lack that. They lack basic integrity. Because if you can't even honestly review some of your colleagues' work without feeling like they're going to get angry at you, that well, that says more about them than yourself. And at least you know yourself you're being honest, and maybe you're on you're around the wrong people then if you feel like that's the case. So because people won't say it, they'll just do it with their actions, but then say they're not doing it, and it's like, okay. <laughs> so you can and also just to remind people, mm-hmm. you can be harsh but kind at the same time. Like if you sure. read something that's not good, you can say, okay, I didn't like this. You can list out your problems with it, but you don't have to go out there and be like, this is absolute dog shit. I hate, why would I give up? I think the now. author's like, mother should die. You fucking yeah. redneck Alabama horse fucker. Yeah, that, there's a different approach is always, your approach will always be the key to someone listening to you versus like hating your guts forever. Yeah. But the most important thing you can do if you want to mm-hmm. be a new author is to listen to what people tell you. Even if you like, if someone takes the time to review your work, even if it's a bad review, thank them for taking the time to read it and telling you what they thought. Yeah, that's better you than might, people that say they're going to yeah. review, review it and not do it. At least that person actually went through your stuff. You might not take one scrap away of their advice, but you at least know how it made this type of person feel. You know, that mm-hmm. might not be your audience. You've been provided information and feedback on your work. Maybe you're catering to the wrong audience, but if you're, if you're kind about it, if you're polite about it, you'll get more support than if you come out there and attack people who took the time to review your work, because now they're going to review your work in the future, but now they're going to be vindictive about it. Now they're going to be mad because they took their time and you got mad. So now they're going to trash you for internet points because that's how the internet works. Oh, and few last things I'll ask you before we head out. It was great talking to you, man, for the first time. Can we have on for the second time later on this year? So the first of three things. First thing is, do you, which is the next series, indie or mainstream, are you planning on reviewing on your channel? Hmm, that's going to be tough. I'm going to probably put up a poll this month and let my mm-hmm. viewers decide which mainstream series I'm going to read because okay. there's really nothing out there that's catching my eye. Mm. Okay. And are you secretly George R.R. Martin's son? <laughs> well, if I am, I'm not getting any of the money he's got. <laughs> no, it's the thing, like it's the thing saying uh, the Shaq one back in the day. I'm rich, you're not rich. That's some shit. Damn. When I heard that, I was like, okay, gotta get my own stuff. The next thing I'll uh-huh. ask you is any big plans for your YouTube channel coming up in 2024 that you made like any resolutions on that you might want to attempt to do this year. So I'm trying to do at least a video a week. It's a little bit difficult because I spend a lot. So I also, given the nature of that I'm trying to get back into engineering, I had to pick up a few classes and go back to school because when you're in engineering, that's what you do. You constantly have to continue your education. Now, the thing for people, if you want to be an engineer, remember, you're probably never going to leave school. You'll always be going back and doing new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but between that and my job and some of the books I'm trying to write, I'm trying to do at least one video a week. I've also put on my Goodreads challenge that I'm trying to read 40 books this year. 
some people try to do a book a week. That is way too much. I get burnout way too quick and I can't do anybody any good service if I get burnout. So probably going to do more writer technicals, uh, talk about different tropes, maybe discuss some of the news. Uh, obviously if any big drama comes up in the writing community, I'll make a video about it though. I don't like to take too much part in drama because it's taxing and boring. And honestly, I hate it. (laughs) I don't even to to let you know how much I hate drama. I had a girlfriend who started getting dramatic and I just broke up with her. (laughs) To be fair, I'm not that much better. I broke up with my ex because we just didn't have any type type of chemistry or synergy at all. And and the other thing to tie into that, because it'd be very similar. She just didn't like anything that I liked and was very hard to make conversation with her. She That's literally, I've seen, I told her, um, I watch superhero movies. This is just something that I tried to start conversation with her back in the day. She's like, isn't that, I don't watch like white people stuff. And I was like, oh Lord. Okay. She still denies it to this day. But I was like, you literally told me that. Why would I say you said that if you didn't say that? I'm, I, like, I'm not like that. I, I uh, oh my God, this lady's Mexican too. So holy fuck. Good the Lord, thing is, so, people, right? so I dated, uh, I dated a black girl for about 10 years. Uh, oh, it makes you one of us then. <laughs> Well, you could say it. So we watched, <laughs> I watched a lot of, like I watched Friday with her. I watched a few of the shows that she liked. I might not have cared for them, but part of being in a relationship is doing things that the other person enjoys. It's a little bit of give and take. And if you actually care about the person, even if it's just because you care about them, take some interest in what they take interest in. It's a give and take. You're supposed to be feeling this person out for a much bigger role. You know, you're, you're supposed to be working as a team. And if you can't, really get into that stuff or if you can't bring yourself to even spare a moment to like what the other person likes. And I'm not saying just for you, I'm saying for women as well, you know, you got to take the time to be a partner. It's well, she, I, I had a lot of stuff she didn't like. She got into, she had a lot of stuff I didn't like. That yeah, I got she, into. yeah. It was just like, she wasn't even, God, she would, you could just tell it just, She's one of those girls that likes to go out and have fun, not in like a crazy way. It's like, she's one of those, hey, I want to kind of go out and do something tonight. It's like every night, like I can't do that. I'm <laughs> like going outside. I like sitting inside and fucking beating off and not going on touching grass. The hell? <laughs> I like having a bank account in the positive. <laughs> That's why I that told is- her, like, like she, she told me shows she liked, but it was just like, I'm not really that big a fan of like karate kid stuff. I'm not interested in watching Cobra Kai. I watched the first Karate <laughs> Kid. I like that movie a lot. I think it's actually really, really good. But I've only ever watched like the Jaden Smith, the Jaden Smith one at, later on after that. Like I, the stuff she was in, into, I just the, I just couldn't get behind. She would watch like Korean dramas, and I'm like, I ain't interested in, I'm not interested in this trash. What the hell is all this? Women's hard, man. Women suck, man. Oh my god. Women can be. There, there are some good ones out mm. there. There's some I've actually been friends with that I probably mm. wouldn't date just because they're a little too wild for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a I'm not wild at all. Like I, I'm debating on like what color to paint my raised beds I'm putting in my backyard because I like to grow food, and not go anywhere. It's like if I could if I could get a parcel of land out in the woods and not have to see another human being again and have Starlink and have all my stuff delivered, I'd be the happiest guy on earth. But you do have to get out there because you do have to you have to be around people to experience something new. You have to put yourself yeah, out where you're true. weak. Because if you don't, you won't grow. Especially as a writer, you have to go out and experience stuff. Yeah, that that that's the other thing is you know, like 
being around enough women in my life has definitely made me shape how I would write a female character. Definitely big <laughs> boobs and a big ass. That that that's so anybody. It's like I'm tired of all the ones I know. I'm gonna make my ideal. <laughs> yeah. I'll just make my ideal woman, and she has big tits and a big ass, and she doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> See, oh I'm, god, I'm so weird. Like out of my friends group, like everybody else has that same concept. I've always really liked petite women, but that probably comes from being like six foot three. Like I've yeah, always, yeah. I've always been this big, like I'm this huge guy, like to some mm-hmm. people, like I've always been this really big guy and I'm big and I'm bald and I've always been really broad. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the black girl I dated, she was built really well. Mm-hmm. It's not my ideal body type in a woman. I, I kind of like a more petite woman. Mm-hmm. I like a woman I can toss around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like that model. So, so, so once I do, I like skinny women. It's like, no, no, no. Say not like, I would say skinny to petite or like uh, thick is fine too. But I just, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about you where if I, cause women, girls don't understand this. How you get in the door with a girl is based off their looks. Like if a girl doesn't look physically attractive, it's kind of what the floor is, right? We yes. don't have that for, for us. It's all about the, like the superficial stuff. It's like, does he have a job? Does he have a car? Does he have his own place? Well, I, I, I personally feel like if a girl's not even putting effort into look good, I'm not gonna look her away. You're gonna look fat, disgusting, ugly, built like a fucking Big Mac. I'm not looking at you. There was this, <laughs> dude, this lady I saw when I was working, just passing back and forth for work, just doing my own thing. Lady came in, she's, she's putrid looking. It just looks just ugly. You know, like I, I wouldn't, and she, she had a kid. I was like, who dated this person? Like, but it goes to show, beauty's in the eye of the holder. So it doesn't matter what I think. She got laid. That's just, so, but I was like, this person is not good looking. Like, what yep. the hell? And, and that's, that's true of guys too. That's true of what. The thing is, it's not so much about, and maybe this is just me because I'm like, I've known a lot of attractive women I wouldn't bother <laughs> with because their attitude is just terrible. Yeah. Like the way that, but being clean and trying to take care of yourself, like even if she's a little chubby, if she looks like she's taking care of herself yeah, and it's fine. You know, it, it, how you present yourself to the rest of the world says a lot about you. <laughs> if you can't keep yourself clean, if you don't keep your clothes clean, if you don't at least try to make, like there's an old book from Britain. I can't remember what it w- was. It's like, but if you're got an ugly attitude, you'll be ugly on the outside. If you've got a pretty yeah. attitude, it doesn't matter what you like your physical uh, deformity, like your physical deformities, <laughs> physical problems are, <laughs> you'll be a more attractive person. It's not about being the most attractive person in the room. Cause I've dated some fairly mid women who had fantastic yeah. personalities. Like they laughed, they were fun to be around. They liked to, you know, do fun things. They would joke a lot. They didn't give you reason to be stressed out. You know, guys will forgive a lot of stuff in a woman if she is fun to be around, if she can just be a nice person to be around. Like I've dated some women that weren't the best looking women, but some of the, some of the things that people would have found wrong with them and that women themselves would have found wrong with them. I found Mm -hmm. endearing. Like, so what? Her teeth are a little bit crooked. It's something that's unique yeah. about it. Those things never, ever bothered me. It was built, For me, it's always based around, like, synergy. I Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I watched the girl get knocked the freak out from wrestling. Oh, my God. That bitch took, like, that, that, that lady Goku punched her. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I got Dragon Ball Z punched. But it, it's synergy. Like, you know, as we're playing with sports about that in league, it's like synergy, chem- chemistry. People call it chemistry. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I, I can't have good chemistry with someone or synergy with someone, I can't make it work because I, I couldn't imagine a world where you're going to be with a, a woman and you have n- like no chemistry at all. That just would be like hell. Would it not be? 
it would not, it would certainly be. But I think one of the problems we have, even just as a society, is we've gotten away from, so people talk about societal standards, you know, all oh, this is a societal beauty standard. This is a societal, this It's like, well, yes, those exist because we are wanting to show as a society, we're in the same boat. Mm -hmm. These are the things we do to signify to each other. This is my role in society. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to be. People might think that's wrong, but it's what makes us function as a country. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling women to be, uh, you know, be weak and submissive and whatnot. I'm from Appalachia. They ain't weak, submissive women around here. I watched there, my grandmother out there. I, I watched my grandmother kill a snake by picking it up by its tail and flicking it like a whip. They ain't weak women around here. What I'm saying is there's what a trooper. Things. I would run scared. <laughs> what I'm saying is there's certain things that we do as uh, signifiers to other people in society that this is the person that I am. This is what I'm like. These are my values. This is what I believe. I, uh, you know, women don't have to wear dresses. I like to see women in dresses. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very attractive thing. Yeah. I know a lot of guys feel this way, but you know, seeing women in pants is another thing. But there's things like when you take somebody out getting dressed up, showing your best self, you know, acting that yeah. like do, doing mm -hmm. certain social norms, like, uh, well, like with the guy picking up the check, but the woman not, you know, disrespecting the guy on the date, you know, letting him show her what he brings to the table. That's kind of the mm -hmm. point of the date. You, yeah. You're interviewing for a job in a sense, but you're interviewing with your actions, not always questions. Like she's showing you what type of wife she would be. You're showing her what type of husband you would be. You're showing each other how you're going to act in public. When you're in private, you're showing how you're going to act in private. You know, you got to, th these are just important things, I believe. It's the things that hold us together. And I also think it could be some of the things that are holding entertainment back because we don't have any shared values anymore. And so it's really hard to tell the same story to a large group of people, but that's a whole different debate and a whole different argument. Well, we'll get into that uh, later on when you come up for a second appearance. Last thing I'll ask you on is uh, any shout outs you want to give to anyone in particular? Anything else you want to say before we head out? Uh, sure. I'm going to, let's see here. I'm going to shout out Ian Kirkpatrick on Ian Kirkpatrick because she does the loin stream every Friday where we read a book. And mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of times they're mainstream books and it could be really fun to listen to. I haven't got to listen to it much lately. Also, um, I shout out my Australian friend Manaya because he's from a country that doesn't exist. <laughs> you, you, you generally mean australia right yeah he's he's from australia he's having a rough time of it because uh you know it's australia everything that's australia there. literally everything is there on fire like legit <laughs> that place is terrible it's <laughs> like fucking canada for what we have over here <laughs> I, I love the british are like okay we can't send our prisoners to the colonies in the north america anymore so we're going to send them all to Australia. <laughs> it's like, we're not oh, going to give gosh. up sending away our prisoners. We're just going to send them somewhere else. Oh God. I just saw a new trailer for walking dead stuff. It's like, they're still milking this. Oh my that. So I enjoyed that show, but I do too. Yeah. I, I can't watch it and not get depressed. <laughs> like it's the most depressing show on TV, but it's like an addiction depression. Ugh. Yeah, like I love that series, man. And you know, look, the comic books are depressing too. I will say that. And we, oh, I, yeah. I stopped watching around season seven, I think, because they did so many, they did so many things that just pissed me off. And it's just they're still doing shows for this. It's crazy. 
So I'd like to introduce the people in this universe to the concept mm -hmm. of a big hole around your property. It's called a moat. The zombies fall in, you stab them in the head. The story is over. <laughs> this is medieval siege craft. They're just wandering corpses. Dig a hole. I'll say, if these guys are so like technology advanced and getting weapons, why not just build a freaking blowtorch and torch them all? Why would I go up and fight them? I can just burn them <laughs> from a distance. It's or like, get uh, a match. Light a whole bunch of matches. Toss them all to toss. I don't know. Burn them. If you like, ever I get, don't get a it. chance, if you ever get a chance, there's a fun game called Stubbs the Zombie where you play <laughs> as the zombie and you're turning this like 1950s version of the future into a zombie apocalypse. It's a fun little game. <laughs> But it, uh, it really teaches you the effectiveness of landmines against zombies. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Ah, bear traps, <laughs> landmines. Oh, people. But not, I get it. I get how people are doing it these days. Uh, but yeah, it was great to have you on, man, for the first time. Uh, it was great. Wish to be you here. nothing but success on your YouTube channel, doing book stuff. I'm going to do my own level of book stuff coming up. Everyone knows. I, I've been seeing channels like yours and John uh, Douglas's and being like, yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring of some actual book stuff. Mine's more like comic books, graphic novels. But you know, I, have you ever thought about doing that too? Last thing I'll ask you is, uh, you ever thought about reviewing your favorite like comic book, graphic novel? You said like you said you're a fan of Watchmen to a certain extent. You ever felt felt like going through that one? So I enjoyed the movie, but probably because I went on a date to that movie and didn't see much of it. I have, uh, oh lord. As far as comic books go, I have a more extensive manga collection than I have of comic. You ever books. thought about going to like your favorite manga? Book oh, series Lord. At all? The, between the uh, copyright stuff and all the like, there's a huge. I, I do the uh, the light novels before they become graphic novels. Oh like, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I've got the the Overlord novels that I'd like to read because I really I, I really like the show. Mm -hmm. uh, the graphic novels. Some people don't like them. I enjoyed them. I mm -hmm. wish he would learn a different phrase than like a puppet with its strings cut. But I would probably do more reviewing the graphic novels or not the gra uh, the actual light novels rather than the graphic novels. <clears throat> just because it fits more into the theme of what my channel is. I'm trying okay. to be more focused. Focused. Yeah, that's what I want. I need to be more focused this year, getting stuff done, laser focused on putting out videos at a more consistent rate. If you're not consistently putting out stuff, you're just not going to make it, honestly. Yep. Or even get a decent level audience. Some people think they could just put out like one video a week and it's like, you can't? But that video, that video better be the best damn thing since sliced bread since the last one I watched. Because if not, why should I check you out? You know, <laughs> just don't make it like a rehash of a dozen other things people have said. It has to be something authentic. What? I can't copy what I see in some other videos. God damn it! I gotta do research on myself. Oh <laughs> lord! But we'll see you guys later. Have a great day, everybody. Good night, everyone. Peace. Yeah. Do so.